This morning, I have the honor and privilege to introduce to you my father, Pastor Randy Blankenship. He has been in ministry, what is it, like 40 years now? 40 years. He had his first sermon when he was 15, and we like to joke that I beat him because I preached for the first time in children's church at nine years old. Thank you very much. He taught me how to write a sermon. I remember the little half-size sheets and the little half-size binders that he would do his sermons in and highlight what he highlighted where, and I made my first sermon off of the way that he modeled it. And um, he has he, he graduated college Bible school early so that he could hurry up and get into ministry. And he started his first church plant, 20 or 21, did you planted the church? 20. 20, he planted his first church. He also had the church then that he, pl- well, he went off to the Philippines where he met my mom on the way towards the Philippines. He said he never would have met her if God didn't call him to be a missionary because he never would have left a small town in Ohio church there for that. But then uh, I was born, they moved back, they planted another church, which is the church I grew up in, in Indianapolis. And he said they never would have left that church, but God called him to go help other church planters in Indiana. And so they stepped away from pastoring to help other church planters for a while. And then after that, they moved on to what was the church they met and got married in which then I did my other half of growing up in, in my teen years, and then Kyle and I got married in, and now they're pastoring a church in a small town in Tennessee with some wonderful, lovely people there, and they let them rearrange their schedule on short notice to come here today to dedicate Micah and help us with our child dedications, and we are so grateful to have him here today to share a message with us. Could you welcome my dad, Pastor Randy? Amen. Good morning again. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's always a privilege to be here with you and with my kids and now with my grandkids. So here's the half sheets with the highlights. Some things, you know, if it works, stick with it, right? If it works, stick with it. Amen. Let's pray, all right? Let's just open our hearts up to what the Lord has to say to us today. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for this church family, this lighthouse in this community. We thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in this church family. We thank you, Lord, for the desire you have for this church family to change and impact the culture of this community. Lord, even as uh, we need two or three meals a day and sometimes some snacks between meals to keep ourselves energized, Lord, we pray that... You would give us a meal today from the bread of the word and from the river of the Holy Spirit. Let us eat and let us drink a message today that would take us to the next step, that it would energize us, that it would be another piece of the puzzle of the life of this church family in the direction that you are taking us. So Lord, we open our ears to you now and we we open our spirits to you now that you might speak that we might receive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple of verses of Scripture as we begin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading these from the message this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It pleases me that you continue to remember and honor me by keeping up the traditions of the faith I taught you. All actual authority stems from Christ. And the prophet Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18, but God's not finished. God's not finished. 
He's waiting around to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. God takes the time to do everything right. Everything. Those who wait around for him are the lucky ones. Now, today is a day to remember. Today is a day to remember for my family, for Kyle and Anna, for, for the other family that had dedication here today. It's going to be a day to remember what happened here today. You know, the word remember is used 228 times in the New Living Translation of the Bible, 228 times. There are many occasions in Scripture where God's people are told to remember His promises, remember the great things. Do you have memories of things that God has done in your family? Do you have memories of things that God has done in your church? Things that you want to remember. They're landmarks. They're guideposts. Anna mentioned a few of them from her life here this morning. You have certain items, certain moments, certain events that you remember. And sometimes when we get a little tempted to stray and wander a little bit, those, those kind of signposts are places we can come back to to get us back on the right path. The purpose of biblical remembering is not just for reminiscing. It's not just to get warm, gushy feelings like, oh, that was a wonderful time. The purpose of it is more than that. We remember the past so that it will be a faith-building foundation for our future. That's really the key sentence of this message today. We remember the past so that it will be a faith-building foundation for our future. You remember some things from your past. These families are going to remember this day. It's a faith-building foundation for what God wants to do in the future. Without that, memory is meaningless. If it's just for warm and gushy feelings, it's meaningless. You know, we can reminisce. I can reminisce a little bit, and I'll, I'll open the message today by just telling you a little bit of story about that first church. It was before I was married, before I met my wife. As Anna said, I was just straight out of college. I was only 20 years old when it began. But, but my remembering, and as I remember an event from my life, maybe you remember a key event from your life, and our remembering is not just to be for the sake of remembering. Our remembering is to be for the sake of what Isaiah said, God's not finished yet. God's not finished yet. One time I was, one time in that new church plant, of course, I was Young, I was single, I was inexperienced, I had a lot to learn, and I was attempting to describe what it was like to bring a new church into existence out of nothing, and I said, I said, you know, it's like the nine months of preparation that a woman goes through and then labor that a mother goes through before she gives birth, and one lady shouted out to me, yeah, what do you know about it? I quickly admitted I knew nothing about it and promptly begged for forgiveness and asked them to forget the illustration and forgive my ignorance, okay? I learned. She wasn't afraid to holler at me. In the summer of 1983, I can't believe it's been 40 years. It just blows my mind. I know I look like I'm only 35 right now. In the summer of 1983, I did a ministry internship at a church that was much larger than the church I grew up in. It was a tremendous learning experience for me. The pastor let me do literally everything you can do in this huge church, and it gave me great confidence. And at the end of the summer, this pastor, who I looked up to and respected to a great deal, he declared that I was ready to pastor a church. 
and I was only 20 years old. How in the world was this going to happen? There was no church board that was going to hire me, you know. I called my uncle. My uncle happened to be the network ministry leader for the Assemblies of God at that time, and I'm not going to tell you everything he said to me. It just frankly was not very encouraging, right? It was not very encouraging. So I had, a, had one more year of college left. I went back to Florida where I was going to school, and it was September. It was 40 years ago this month. The ministry leader from Ohio came, and he preached in our chapel service at college. He was new to his job, and, and he had a goal of planting 80 new churches in Ohio in the 80s. That was, a, that was a huge goal. I mean, 80 new churches in a decade for a state ministry is, is really huge. And after he preached his message about church planting and what you could do, and he was going to hold interviews that afternoon. Well, I didn't schedule an interview. I didn't have the experience to go plant a church. I thought, that sounds nice. I, I'd like to plant a church. Maybe after I get about 12 years of experience, I can plant a church. But, but I didn't know at this point how I was going to get the experience. So I went back to my room. Then my roommate came back to the room, and he said, get ready for an interview. I signed you up for an interview with that superintendent. I'm like, what? What are you doing, man? So I put on my very best sport coat and tie, because that's what you did for interviews back then. We used to have to wear coat and ties every day, coat and ties Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, coats and ties every day. So I put on my best sport coat and tie, and I go in there, and this lady, he was super laid back. I mean, he had his coat thrown across. He was leaning back. He was disheveled. He was just an easygoing guy. We talked for two hours. He made me feel like I was his very best friend. In the course of the interview, he found out who my uncle was. He found out who my internship was. They, they were great friends of his. He said, you can tell your uncle to forget about going to Indiana. You're coming to Ohio to plant a church. Went back to my room and discovered my very best sport jacket. I had a huge rip right here in the <laughs> underarm. I thought that was impressive. Very, very, very impressive. Even though he invited me to come to Ohio to start that church, I had to go through a process. He scheduled me for an interview with the Ohio Missions Committee over my Christmas break. He scheduled me to go preach in a little small town. Side note, little small town where all the Honda automobiles in America are made, by the way. He scheduled me to go preach in this little small town on a Wednesday night. Very, very small crowd was there, less than a dozen people. But he and another ministry leader were sitting right here on the front row, no pressure whatsoever. The committee approved me. So Brother Crabtree was his name, the ministry leader. He, he asked me to pray about a location. Just go back to college now, finish out your last semester and pray and ask if God will give you and help you to identify a location where you might go and plant a church. So that's what I did. I went back to school. I got a map of Ohio and I prayed and I sought God and I, I said, Centerville, Centerville would be a great place to start a church. So I called him and uh, I said, I said, I believe the Lord's laid Centerville on my heart. And he said, we already have a church there. So, so much, so much for my prophetic skills, right? So then he said to me, what about Bell Fountain? We've got a town named Bell Fountain. We've already had two families that have moved there. They have Assemblies of God backgrounds. One went to the Assemblies of God Church in Finley. One went to the Assemblies of God Church in Dayton. And they've moved there and they're committed. They will help you start this church. So by February of 1984, it was all set. It was in March or April. I called those two families. I said, this is Randy Blankenship. He said, Who? So Randy Blankenship, I'm your new pastor. I said, what? Both of those families, 
they said they couldn't wait three months for another guy to come to town to start a church. So they had already found other churches. I lost two families before I ever even started the first Sunday. I had nothing. I had nobody. I had no commitment. I had no ministry team. I had no worship team. Nothing whatsoever. I did put an advertisement in the newspaper. The only picture I had was my high school senior picture. So there's a picture of a high school senior kid, you know, and he, we're going to have Bible studies in, in our apartments. And after I put that advertisement out, I found out that you can't. The day we were going to, advertisements in the newspaper, some such, such address, Lamplight Court, Bell Fountain, Ohio, come out Thursday night for a Bible study. Thursday afternoon, the manager comes knocking on my door. She said, these are public facilities and you cannot, these are private, private apartments. She'd had people see the ad and complain. She said, these are private apartments. You can't have Bible studies here. I mean, I had three hours to find a place to meet. So we found a uh, old farmer's fellowship hall called a Grange Hall. I'd actually moved to this town just two weeks after graduation, driving down Main Street with my dad. I mean, I'm single. I've got nothing. I've got nobody. The district is helping me with a little bit of finances, you know, and I, I said to my dad, we're looking for an apartment for me to live in. And I said to my dad, this is crazy. And he said, are you having second thoughts? I said, no, but this is crazy. <laughs> I mean, it was just nuts. So we went into that Grange Hall we filled it up in six months. Then we secured a senior citizens activities building. We were praying for property. I prayed for God to give us property for free, and that's exactly what he did. One mile south of town, which is now almost right in town because of the growth of the city on the main highway through the county, this guy named Clarence Angle gave us the property absolutely free and clear. It was a great personal experience to himself and his family. The papers were signed the day before he died. God began to build a church family right there there and 40 years later right now there's a church family worshiping the Lord together in Bell Fountain, Ohio. I still remember the very first message I preached there. I called it to build a church. To build a church. And the big idea of that message was that we need to build a church where the people and the ingredients are frozen and ice cold. And I'll tell you that's more true right now than it ever has been and that's true right here in this community. This this church family needs to be building the church, building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in our culture, which is becoming increasingly and increasingly spiritually frozen and ice cold. The Assemblies of God had tried to start churches in that community before, time and time and time again. They tried to start and they would stop. They would try to start and they would stop. And finally, in the 1960s, they just sold out. They sold all their properties. They sold everything they had, basically gave up. The place was considered nearly hopeless. Many people had given up hope. I came to town. Many people said, oh, you remind us of Pastor Charlie. It's just something. He was a young guy. He was nice. He was charismatic. He was, he was just, you remind us so much of Pastor Charlie. I found out more about Pastor Charlie. He had an affair with his church secretary, and when he got really under conviction for that, he walked out in the church office one day, put a gun to his head, and blew his brains out right in front of his secretary. You remind us so much of Pastor Charlie. I had a lot to overcome. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm not. I'm not Pastor Charlie, okay? This is not that kind of a situation. In that message, I told the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Pastor Anna mentioned it last Sunday in her message. Elijah on Mount Carmel calling fire down from heaven. God showing himself to be God over all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he put a soaking wet sacrifice there, soaking wet altar with a river running around that altar. And God came down and sent the fire. And there's... There's three ingredients. This is not the message for today. This is just kind of an introduction. But 
But that story of Elijah on Mount Carmel calling fire down from heaven on that soaking wet sacrifice gives us three ingredients we need to build the church. Prayer, perseverance, and power. Prayer is what Elijah did. It's what this church does regularly, not just on Sunday mornings, but every Sunday morning before the service starts. You can come for early morning prayer. Prayer, perseverance, not giving up. Servant went up that mountain seven times, came back, said, there's nothing there, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But Elijah did not give up, no matter what anybody said, no matter how discouraged it was, he didn't give up. And power, you have to have the power of God if you're going to build a church. It's not just on techniques. Prayer, perseverance, and power. And because in the midst of tremendous change, some things need to stay the same. I had three points that began with the letter P back then, so I've got three points that begin with the letter P today. Let's talk about number one, the purpose. The purpose. The purpose of the church can be stated in different ways. Different churches state their purpose in different ways, but it really never changes. And the very first purpose of God is to bring people into a relationship with Him. His purpose for you is to have a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. And for your friends and your family members who don't know him, he wants them to have a real... God exists to have a relationship with people. That's, that's the purpose. He had a personal relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. And that relationship in their lives then became broken due to sin. And our lives are broken today. There's brokenness in my life. There's brokenness in my family. There's brokenness in all of us because of the sin of our first parents. And ever since then, God's been working to restore the broken relationship with us broken people. And so he ultimately sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And that death was horrible. It was, it was excruciating. Do you know the word excruciating means out of crucifixion? excruciating me. Every time you say, oh, my pain is excruciating, it refers back to the pain of the cross, the crown of thorns, the beaten back, the, 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 the nails in the hands and the feet, the suffocating, the internal bleeding, the bruising. There was, it, was, it was the most dramatic aspect of torture that humanity has ever come up with. And Jesus did that for us. He did it for you. He did it for every person that lives in this city and in this county because he wants every person to be in a relationship with him. Now listen, there's a lot of churches in town and we, we love our brothers and sisters in Christ no matter how they worship, no matter how they reach out, no matter what. But, but this church is in what you... I hate labels. I really don't like labels because you can use one word and it can mean 50 different things to 50 different people. But this, this church is... You know, there's different streams in the church, different, different theologies, different practices, different methods, different core beliefs. This, this church here, Victory Faith Church in Fort Madison, is in the stream of the church that believes in the fullness of the gifts of the Spirit. Believes that the gifts of the Spirit are today. Believes in what some people call the charismatic gift. Some call it Pentecostal. Call it whatever you want. But listen... Being charismatic is not our purpose. Being, being spiritually gift-oriented and releasing, that's not our purpose. Being Pentecostal, if you want to use that term, it's not our purpose. Bringing people to Jesus is our purpose. 
The purpose of the gifts is to bring people to Jesus. Listen, Jesus' purpose in coming to earth, Jesus did not come to earth and die that bloody, horrible death on the cross so we as Christians could just do whatever we want to do. So we could come together and have our spiritual gifts and share our gifts with just one another and exercise our gifts with one another and just have a great old Holy Ghost party. That, I love that. We can do that from time to time, but that's not the main reason why Jesus came. He didn't come so that we could just do things the way we want to do them. His purpose was not so that we could do things the way we did them back in the 80s. When I started the church in Ohio, his purpose is not just so we can do charismatic things. On Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, Jesus said, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I'm going to reply, I never knew you. I never knew you. See, the Bible is not a collection of many stories. The Bible is one story. One story. Story, and it is the story of a God who gave up everything to have a relationship with us. He gave up everything to have a relationship with you, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers. He gave up everything to have a relationship with people who don't know him yet. So if we're going to fulfill his purpose, if we're going to fulfill his purpose, we must give up everything in order to bring people to him. If we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to give up everything to bring people to him. And that means, that means sometimes we give up our desires. We give up our preferences. We give up our vision to serve his vision and his purpose in bringing people to him. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ so powerfully working in me. So don't plan everything you do for Christians. Don't plan most of what you do for Christians. Don't plan the majority of what you do on Sunday mornings for Christians. Focus on who Jesus focused on. Focus on those he sent his disciples out to. Focus on those who were not yet in a relationship with him. Focus on and seeing people come into a relationship with Jesus is the most encouraging thing that will ever happen for us. So we were a church plant in Ohio, and then I married Sharon, and we planted church in Indianapolis, and then as Anna said, I oversaw church planting for the state of Indiana for a few years. Church planters and church plants and new churches have to focus on seeing people come to Jesus. Matter of fact, it works because statistically, statistically, more people come to Jesus in new church plants than in churches that have a long history. What does that say about us who have a long history? We need to start thinking like church planters. We need to start thinking like new churches. Every follower of Jesus is supposed to be bringing other people to follow Jesus. The end result of every method of discipleship, everything we do, every spiritual gift, the end result of every method should be personal growth that leads us to bring others to Jesus. We talk about discipleship. We talk about discipling Christians, but we don't just want to disciple Christians. We want to disciple people who will then disciple other people who will then disciple other people. It, it, the family line ends if we don't have babies. The family line ends if we don't have babies, so that's got to happen in the church because we are a church family. So may God help us see the priority of his purpose, helping others come to know him. May God cause that purpose of his heart to overwhelm and overcome every other desire 
within us. That's the purpose for which this church was originally started, to bring other people to Jesus. So let's not forget that purpose. Number two is the plan, okay? You got the purpose, bring others to Jesus. The plan. The plan is adoption. The plan is adoption. Now, since I don't know anything about giving birth, (laughs) I was reminded of that 40 years ago. We're going to use Paul's illustration of adoption instead of pregnancy, okay? Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, Paul said, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you, all of you, everybody here, if you're following Jesus, you received God's spirit when he adopted you. God adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. When we put our faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, we are adopted into the family of God. So everything that is his becomes ours. We leave our past behind, we have a new family, we belong to God through Jesus Christ. When my kids were born, Anna and my son Randall, they did absolutely nothing to cause us to love them. They gave us nothing that would cause us to love them, to cause us to want to do everything for them, to cause us to want to give them everything. Just by being born, they were immediately in our family and immediately they had access to everything we had. Now that doesn't happen for everybody. From the time my daughter was a teenager in high school, she felt called by God to adopt children through the foster system. Not just bringing in children's infants, but bringing in children who have been abandoned for years and struggled for years in the foster care system. And so some of you know, maybe not everybody knows, Colin and I have had several, several foster children in their home. And they were their kids when they were able to be there. And they were our grandkids when they were able to be there. And so I think it's safe to say that we all know that there's difficulties and struggles with that and there are in biological families too not everything is just roses and flowers and spaghetti and brownies all the time you know not in any family not in biological families not in foster families not in adoptive families somebody like you don't know what I've gone through no you don't know what I've gone through either okay (laughs) we've all we've all been through stuff we've all dealt with junk I'm using my words very carefully because, you know, sometimes it's a whole lot more than junk, you know? I mean, there's already been some diapers changed this morning, you know? We deal with that. We deal with that metaphorical and literally. So it's difficult. Families are hard. Families are hard no matter how they look and how they come in all shapes and all sizes. The family of God is hard family of God is difficult. We're brothers and sisters, but we got different backgrounds. Some of you probably already have been offended by something I've said or done right here. I, I got no, I, I don't have any awareness of it. I had somebody at church in Bell Fountain one time, they came to me, did you know Janice is upset with you? I said, no, I didn't know Janice was upset with me. Why is she upset with me? You said such and such a year ago. <laughs> she was upset with me for a year. I'm just going on my happy-go-lucky way. That's why Jesus said he got a problem with somebody, go to him. I didn't know she had a problem with something I said. So it can be difficult. 
it can be difficult. I do remember when among all those foster children, one of them was on the road to adoption. And at the risk of someone shouting out, what do you know about it? I'll tell you this, Anna and Kyle went through months of expectation before a foster child became adopted, just like a pregnancy. They went through pain. They went through labor to bring that child into our family. And I remember that Anna put together like an adoption calendar. You know, like some people put down pregnancy calendars and there's the due date. May 31st is the due date. And they circle it and make it in purple and glitter and all. Girls do that mostly. Guys don't do that. Guys are like, when's this going to happen? Okay, make sure, get on my schedule. Don't remind me so I don't miss it. <laughs> and so she put together an adoption calendar with all the events leading up to the final adoption day like a biologically mother would do. And she wrote, she posted it on Facebook, and she said, we're in the final stretch. And then she said, this is the equivalent of a 38-week pregnant belly photo for me. I've always valued my heritage and my legacy from both sides of my family. I carry the name Blankenship. In, in Indiana, there weren't very many Blankenships. My dad's from Tennessee. In Indiana, there weren't very many Blankenships. People would misspell my name all the time. They would ask me how I spelled my name. Since I moved to Tennessee, nobody has asked me how I spell my name. Blankenships in Parsons, Tennessee are as thick as Hostetlers in Greentown, Indiana. Blankenships all over the... I'm con oh, do you know this Blankenship? Do you know that Blankenship? I know some of them. I don't know all of them. I got a cousin. They're going to name a basketball court after my cousin. The Blankenships are everywhere down there. Blankenships for generations going back. My dad and I are now taking care of a small family cemetery that, that his parents are buried in and his brothers and sisters are buried in and his grandparents are buried in and his great-grandparents are buried in and the great-grandmother who... The great-grandfather of my dad, my great-great-grandfather who escaped a Confederate raid because in West Tennessee, they were still Union people. Even though Tennessee was a Confederate state, West Tennessee, they were still Union people. So my family were fighting for the Union in the Civil War. My great-great-grandfather escaped a Confederate raid that happened right near where I live now. And... In his escape, all the other prisoners were taken to Andersonville Prison Camp, which is one of the worst, worst in the history of the world prison camps. Latrine on one end just flowed into the drinking water, and so many prisoners of war died. But my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather escaped that only to die of pneumonia on the way home. So my great-great-grandmother took a pension that she got from the government, and she bought the log cabin and the land on which my dad was born and raised, and it was still there until it burned down in the 1960s. And not far from there is this cemetery now where my dad and I are taking care of it, and my mom and dad already have their stone there. You see, there's heritage, there's legacy. I took, I took Isaiah there, and I walked through my dad's property, and we walked back through the woods, and showed him where the corn crib was and showed him where they stored this and stored that and just shamble buildings now. And we walked, we walked through the cemetery and I said, I said, Zay, this is your great, 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 great grandfather. He's the one who 
died on the way home from the Civil War. This is your great, 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 great grandmother. She's the one who bought the property that Papa was raised on. I tried to pass this legacy down. Blankenships, hard-working, hard-working Tennessee farmers. Cranks. My mom was a crank. I don't mean that as an insult. That was her last name. <laughs> Cranks. My, my, my great-great-grandfather, my TJ, Thomas Jefferson Crank, married a Church of Christ preacher's daughter. He went into a Pentecostal tent meeting in 1908, gave his life to Jesus, was baptized in the Holy Spirit, started preaching. His son, O.C. Crank, my grandfather. To be honest with you, the little boy that I just dedicated reminds me of my grandfather, O.C. Crank. Fat, bald-headed guy, so you know, this is, this is, just reminds me of my grandfather. And now we got preachers in our family all over the world, and it's going from generation to generation to generation to generation in ministry. And my wife... Her name is Five Coat, very strong family in Kokomo, Indiana. She's famous. She's an identical triplet. Their, very fir their first birthday, somebody sent them a newspaper clipping from the Los Angeles Times. These three baby infant girls. And I've always wanted to pass these aspects of my legacy down to my kids. And so the court date to finalize the adoption was August the 14th. And we all sat in the courtroom on August the 14th. The judge asked questions, Kyle and Anna, and his name was Dalton at the time. His first name all answered, yes, yes, yes. See, that involved a name change. You know, when we give our lives to Jesus and we're adopted into his family, we get a name change. Christian becomes part of our family. I'm not just Randy Blankenship. I'm Randy Blankenship Christian. It's a name change. And, and you know what the Bible says when we get to heaven? He's going to give us a new name. He's going to give us all a new name, and Kyle wrote something powerful because Kyle's upbringing was, there were challenges, as I said, just like there are in every family. There were a number of challenges that he faced in his growing up years that has made him into who he is today. Well, the fact of the matter is, if it wasn't for a smaller church in a smaller town, much like this one right here, if it wasn't for that church in that town, who knows what might have happened to the man that's your co-pastor today. And that's part of why he was all in with Anna on the fostering and adopting and all of this. So Kyle wrote something very powerful that day. Isaiah, Zay, Dalton, Lee, Sadler. Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. Kyle wrote, the Sadler name isn't the one I was born with. It was given to me via an adoption by my stepdad. I don't know the history of this name, but I do know its future. This name was taken by my wife, who had made me a far better man than I would have ever been without her, and now my son will officially take this name. He will undoubtedly be a world changer. But a name means nothing without the one who gives us life. That is why the name Isaiah is so key to our family, God is salvation. The Bible says that if we put our trust in Jesus, God, then we will be saved from eternal death. That is why the Sadler name will be rooted in from me and my family forward. There is no plan B. This little guy has already placed his trust in Jesus at exactly the same age that I did. He started his journey, and we're here to guide him. And I'm so thankful for the church who loves him, kids, pastors who shepherd him, friends who take care of him, and us and family who treat him as their own. The best is yet to come. 
So our purpose and the purpose of this church, why it was started, when it was started, was to help people come to know Jesus, to bring them into the family. And the plan is adoption. God adopts all of us messed up kids. And we are all messed up in different ways, and we continue to get messed up, but God continues to bring us into his family. And if you haven't been adopted yet, today can be your day. Today can be your day to say yes. When the judge asks the question, say yes. I want to be adopted into the family of God. I want a new family. And the third is the promise. So the purpose is to bring people to Jesus. The plan is it's being adopted into the family of God. And third is the promise. The promise is the next generation. The kids that we've dedicated today are part of the promise. The kids in children's church right now are part of the promise. The kids in the youth ministry that's being reignited is part of the promise. We've got to be focused on the next generation. I never thought I would be here. I had to get out. I had to get out. I had to get out and start preaching and planting church because Jesus was going to come back before I was 24. I didn't set the date. I don't believe in date setting, but I mean... Jesus is coming back, so I got to get out and preach and plant churches and bring people to Jesus because I never, ever, ever thought I would be here, never thought I would have kids, never thought I would have grandkids. I never, one of the reasons that's why I started that church, Jesus, Jesus is still coming back. He is still coming back. I believe, I believe that, that just means that we're sooner today than we've ever been before, but he's not come back yet. We're still here. So you know what that means? Until he comes back, there's another generation for us to pass this on to. Extensive research into church trends and religious beliefs in America show us repeatedly that the number of people who self-identify as Christians is declining. They don't even call themselves Christians. The number of people who identify as atheist or agnostic is increasing. The number of people who indicate no religious beliefs of any kind whatsoever is increasing. The number of Christians who identify with historic evangelical churches is also in decline. 65% of the World War II generation was raised in church or Sunday school. For those under 20, less than 10% in America are being raised in church at all. You've seen Europe empty cathedrals. Only 2 to 3% of the population calls themselves Christians. Another generation or two, that's exactly where the United States of America will be if there's not a change. Multiple studies show that at least 50% of high school graduates leave the church upon graduation, some never to return. So look at all the teenagers in the church and mark an X over half of them and picture that they won't be around. It's a crisis. But the Bible gives us the promise. Psalm 22, verse 30 and 31, a posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Guess what? My job is not finished yet, but already the next generation is proclaiming it. So thank you, Lord. Now it's up to you. <laughs> it's up to the next generation and now do even more for the next generation. When I pastored that church in my 20s, I was younger than most of the people who came to the church. Something happened. I got older. And now I'm trying to minister to young adults who are younger than my children. And I'm realizing that the songs I sang growing up and early in my ministry, which are so meaningful to me, they don't have the same effect on them. They don't even know the songs. I challenge you now. And I'm not one that's critical of that. I, I, I'll tell you what, I just, get, I just get upset a little bit about all the people who get cranky. 
I don't want to be a cranky old man. I want to be the old man on the back row blinding with a cane going, yeah, yeah, sing that new one. Sing that new song you sang just last week. I like the old ones. I like the new ones. I think we should like them all. I don't think we should gripe or complain. But I'll tell you what, when people get on and say, they just don't write songs. They just, they just don't write songs anymore like the old hymn. The old, if you're like this, just go ahead and feel convicted and pull your toes back under your seat because I'm going to just say it. They just don't write songs like the old hymns anymore. The songs are just so shallow. Oh, they're just so... Sh Look up Benjamin William Hastings and start listening to some of his songs. Some of these songs that we sing today, they're deep, they're rich, they're powerful. There are multitudes of songs being written right now by next generation of prophetic worship leaders that are deep. So open your eyes. Are there shallow songs? Yes. Were there shallow songs back in the day? Yes. You know why you like the songs you like on the radio? It's because those are the songs that were playing when you were dating your sweetheart. <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh, yeah, man, them 80s love songs. Woo, yeah. Me and my wife once, we bought one of them, you know, like 45 cassettes, Time Life, love songs from the 70s. I don't even know where they are now. You know, you know why you like the songs you like in church? Because they were the songs that were being sung when God did something special in your life. There was a tremendous revival sweep in this country in the 1990s, and I had a youth pastor who wasn't raised in the kind of church I was raised in with the moving of the Holy Spirit. And there was a powerful revival that was sweeping the country, and it was taking a lot of churches, and a lot of churches were being powerfully blessed, and God was doing great things, and some people were being very critical about it. And I went to a minister's meeting with three or 400 ministers, and this one guy got up. He was a Bible college president. He was highly respected, and he preached a message called, When God's Glory Passes By. And his message was, in essence, when God's glory passes by, it won't look nothing like what we're seeing today. When God's glory passes by, it'll look like what it did in the 1960s when I was doing this and we were having, that's what God's glory looks like. And at the end of the message, my youth pastor was weeping. And I went over to him and I said, are you okay? He said, he said, he had his revival. Why won't he let me have mine? Let me tell you right now, before you want to criticize something, you better pull your tongue back in your mouth and swallow it for a little while. And you better get the heart and mind of God before you start criticizing what God is doing in the next generation. Because you might criticize half of the next generation out of here. Let them have their revival. Let them have a move of God and listen to the deep and powerful theological words that are being written by the next generation of prophets that God is raising up. I challenge you now, determine as a church, you will not grow old, but you will grow young. Picture the typical missionary experience in the typical church, whether they come here or whether we go there. We go overseas. We go to the Philippines. We go to Africa. We go to South America. Missionaries come here. Oh, they wear funny clothes and they sing funny songs and they dance funny dances doing worship and they have funny markings on their skin and on their arms. And we're just like, isn't it wonderful? Sometimes they have weird piercings. And it's like, isn't it wonderful what God is doing in these various parts of the world? And we love it. And we realize there's a great need to reach those people in all those far-flung places from all those different cultures. And then people come into our churches. And they're wearing funny clothes. And they got funny markings on their skin and faces and piercings. And sometimes they sing funny songs and dance funny dances. And the way they communicate can be completely different than us. And we're like, I don't like that. I don't like that. How come you like it when the missionary comes from Africa, but you don't like it when someone comes from across town? I'll tell you why. Because you don't realize you're living on the mission field. 
You're living on the mission field. Here's something else that's awesome. I had to raise money. I sat on the phone all day long till it was growing out of my ear. Yeah, we didn't have a cell phone. Called pastors, called pastors, called pastors. If they said maybe, they were getting called from me again next week. They had to absolutely flat out tell me no. Or else I was calling, can I come to your church? Can I come to your church? Got to tell you what we're doing in the Philippines. Need support, need support, need support, need support, need support. Raise money, go preach, tell them what I'm doing. Preach, preach, take an offering, got to raise money. Need this much cash, need this much monthly commitments. Need you are so stinking blessed. You have an employer who's paying your way to your mission field. Why are you guys looking at me like that for your employer is paying your way to be on your mission field. Isn't that awesome? You're on the mission field. We are on the mission field. We've got to lead the next generation to becoming biblical, but not demand that they convert and conform to a culture that no longer exists and they can't identify with. We got all kinds... Of, we, generation ago, you had all kinds of Africans wearing coats and ties. It's 110 degrees on the equator over there. And we got them all wearing coats and ties because we didn't just convert them to Christianity. We converted them to Americana. There's an emphasis throughout the Bible of the faith being passed on to the next generation. We can build a great church in this generation, but we ultimately lose if we don't pass it on. Let me tell you one of the saddest passages in all the Bible. Judges chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. The Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not know or acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for them. One generation, they didn't remember. Every generation has an obligation to pass the faith on to the next. Every generation has an obligation to receive this faith Younger generation, this is your obligation to receive this faith from your predecessors. A self-focused Christian is an immature Christian. The end result of our personal growth should be bringing others to Jesus. The end result of the spirituality of this generation should be to pass the faith on to the next generation. Psalm 78, oh my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its open new on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God Psalm 71 but as for me I'll always have hope since my youth oh God you've taught me to this day I declare your marvelous deeds even when I'm old and gray do not forsake me oh God until I declare your power to the next generation and your might to all who are to come Psalm 102 verse 18 write this down for the next generation so people not yet born will praise God Psalm Proverbs 27 23 and 24 know the state of your flocks and put your heart into caring for your herds for riches don't last forever and the crown might not be passed to the next generation we've got to remember the past so that it'll be a faith building foundation for the future our purpose is to bring people to know Jesus nothing else comes close to that purpose the plan is adoption into the family of God with all the rights, privileges, rewards and responsibilities 
Isaiah, as well as Moxie, as well as Micah. None of those three kids, by the way they came into our family, none of them have a different inheritance. None of them have a different heritage. None of them have a different legacy. And my grandfather, O.C. Crank, would be more than pleased with Kyle and Anna pastoring this church and passing the faith on to their kids. And the promise is that's going to go on so the next generation might know him. You know, there's a, there's a next generation in the Billy Graham family. You all know Franklin Graham. You might not know Franklin Graham was a gun-toting, motorcycle-driving rebel before he came to know the Lord. There was another daughter, Ruth, Ruth Graham, named after her mother. Ruth strayed, to say the least. Billy Graham's daughter, she strayed. Look up, look up on YouTube this afternoon. Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth, at his funeral. Just look at the five or ten minutes that he, she took to tell the story at her father's funeral, Billy Graham's funeral. Ruth strayed. Ruth got off the path. Some of us have strayed. Some of us have gotten off the path. She said, you think it's hard to be Billy Graham's daughter? Be Billy Graham's daughter and go through a divorce. Be Billy Graham's daughter and lose your marriage. Have everybody in the country talking and writing about you. And feel like you've been the biggest embarrassment and failure that you could possibly ever be to your dad and everybody that knows him and everybody who respects him. She said, I had to go home. I just, I had to go home. Didn't know what I would find. She flew across the country. And that car got to that gate down at the bottom of that mountain home where he lived. And she finally summoned up the courage to drive up that winding driveway. When she got to the top of that hill in North Carolina, there was her dad. Not Billy Graham, the evangelist, but there was her dad standing out on the front porch and he saw her get out of the car and he just held his arms out and he just said welcome home honey welcome home no judgment no condemnation no lectures I want to tell you today there's an Abba there's a daddy he doesn't care what you've done he doesn't care how far you've strayed. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. That was the price paid so that you could be adopted. In the, oh, adoption's expensive. Oh, it's an expensive proposition. It was, not a, it was more expensive for God than it was for anybody else. And God today is standing. And he's looking for you to come, come towards his house. He's got his arms open and he'll say, welcome home. Welcome home. No judgment, no lectures. If you're sorry, if you're repentant, if you want to turn, if you know Jesus is God, it's all. If you confess with your mouth that you've sinned, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart, you get the welcome home. Let's bow our heads together. Bow our heads together. Who wants to receive the welcome home right now? Who wants to receive the welcome home right now? I want all of us to just pray. I'd like believers to pray along with maybe unbelievers and maybe those who are coming home. Maybe you're coming for the first time. Maybe you've strayed and you're coming back. But the judge of all of us right now is saying, you want to be adopted? 
Do you say yes to this? Do you agree to this? See, Isaiah had to say yes along with Kyle and Anna. Got his name changed. You want to add Christian to your name? You want to add Jesus follower to your name? You want to say yes. All the rights, all the privileges, all the heritage, all the legacy of everyone in the family of God, every prophet, every priest, every apostle, everyone. You get the heritage, you get the legacy. You get the reward, you get the home he's building for you in heaven. Pray with me right now, everyone. If you want this, pray it from your heart, out loud right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you did to bring me into the family. I confess that I've sinned and I receive your forgiveness. And I thank you for adopting me into the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now just thank the Lord right now. Just thank him, thank him, thank him for what he's done. He loves you. He will always love you. We're going to do everything we can in our power to follow him. But when we fall, he doesn't kick us out of the family. He just picks us up and he says, we can do better. We can do better. He'll give you the strength. Father, I pray that you'd give everybody the identification of the Holy Spirit, the strength of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you. Lord, I pray that this church as a whole, Victory Faith Church, that we would not forget that our main purpose is to bring people into relationship with you and you have a plan for that for everyone that's coming out of difficult situations to be adopted into the family of God and the promise is that it will continue into the next generation and we don't have to lose hope or despair of what's going on in our world today because you've promised that there's going to be a remnant in this generation in Jesus name Amen if you made that decision today to give your life to the Lord, there's a connection card in the worship guide that you were given on your way. And just mark that, drop it in the giving box on the way out today, just so that we can help you with your next steps. Or drop it by the hub. I'm going to be standing out there at the table out here. You can do that. Um, we're going to go ahead and end our time in worship today. If you need to go ahead and go and get your kids or anything like that, feel free. But also stay in and worship with us if you want to spend this time just dedicating and sealing off what God's doing with this time of worship tonight.